Now turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, the first 14 verses of that chapter I'm going to read, then R.T. is going to come and minister. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your servant yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, and as they were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you, before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Thank you, R.T. Would you like a double anointing of the Holy Spirit? What is required to get this? Is it within the reach of ordinary people like you and me? Would it come only to those who have a future? You're a student, maybe you're in law, medicine, or what if you are a single mom 
at home with crying children? Or what if you don't have a job? Could you ask for a double anointing of the Holy Spirit? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every person in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, and applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I ask that this will be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, three or four years ago, I was interviewed by Arthur Blessett on uh, TBN America. Uh, took place in uh, Denver, Colorado, and my book on Elijah had just come out called These Are the Days of Elijah. And Arthur was interviewing me about the book and came to that part about Elisha wanting Elijah's anointing. And Arthur just said, R.T., do you have people that come up to you and, and they want your anointing? What do you do with them? I said, Arthur, I did that to you. I said, don't you remember in Westminster Chapel in my vestry, we got on our knees and I asked you to lay hands on me that I might have your anointing. He said, yes, I do remember that. And he got, started to go on to something else. I said, stop, wait. Was that prayer answered? Yes, it was. And I hadn't thought of it to that moment. But Arthur's prayer was answered because it was immediately after that my whole life changed. Arthur, as you may know, is, is a street evangelist. He just talks to anybody, wherever they are. And I always thought that I was preaching the gospel if I did it from the pulpit. Uh, incidentally, it's a lot easier to preach to a thousand than it is to talk to one person. And as a result of Arthur coming, we started our pilot light ministry at Westminster Chapel, and I've not been the same since. I have, I know hundreds and hundreds, it could be a thousand or more, but hundreds, that wherever I go now, whether on a plane, in a barber shop, uh, anywhere, I talk to people about Jesus. I'd never done that before. And I said, yes, that prayer was answered. So if you ask the Lord for anointing or for somebody else's anointing, you better be careful that you mean what you say because God may indeed answer your prayer. Well, now, when Elisha had asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit, we know that Elijah had replied that there would be this condition. And the condition was, uh, if you see me when I'm taken up, it will be yours. Otherwise not. 
In other words, it was black or white. If Elisha had his head turned and Elijah is taken up, well, too bad for Elisha. There'll be no chance. Well, now, this word, how could it possibly be related to you? Well, let me put it this way. Is it possible that there's someone here you would like to have twice the relationship with God you now have? A double anointing just on your relationship with God and sense of His presence. Anybody here would like that? A lot of people. So this is a word for you. Now, it's very interesting that behind all that was going on, there was a company of prophets who began to say to Elisha that the Lord would take Elijah away that day. Uh, they were all saying it. Now, who were these prophets? Where did they come from? Some translations, they're sons of prophets. Where they are from, it's hard to tell. It, it's just proof that Elijah was not the only one left. He'd been making that claim. But why would not God raise up one of these? This is interesting to me. If there's going to be a successor, you would have thought if there are a company of prophets, God would pick one of them to succeed Elijah. Sometimes God seeks his servants from a group already trained and prepared. And then sometimes he picks someone who does not even appear to be qualified having no background in the case of Elijah finding Elisha. Well, this point about Elijah requiring that Elisha be right there on the spot, uh, somehow Elisha already knew this. Uh, it was part of what was going on. It had been revealed to him. And uh, uh, what Elijah required, uh, somehow Elisha knew because that's why he was in Elijah's face 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour. Elisha uses what I call oath language. That he's not going to leave Elijah. For example, you could say that Elijah is playing hard to get. He's saying, uh, I want you to stay here, Elijah, uh, Elisha. I'm going to Bethel. Elisha said... As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. That's oath language. It's the same language Elijah used when he first came to Ahab. As the Lord lives, it won't rain. Now sometimes this kind of language is used because a person is going to prophesy. He says, as the Lord lives. This time Elisha is saying it. As the Lord lives, I will not leave your side. And so, this is not a prophecy, but a promise that under no circumstances would Elisha leave Elijah. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a vow? The word vow is the same thing as swearing an oath. And in the Old Testament, it warns you, don't make a vow unless you repent. Better that you don't make it. Because it's serious, serious stuff if you break a vow or go against an oath. 
Well, now one might think, as I said, that God would choose one of those prophets who are already engaging in these conversations. But God is not bound by tradition or our natural expectancy. He frequently chooses to work where no one would have thought, chooses people or places no one would have expected. And this should encourage anybody here, you could be the next Elijah. Because if you think, well, I've had no training, I've got no background, not a chance he would use me. Did you know the great Charles Spurgeon was never ordained to the ministry? He said, their empty hands on my empty head will not add to my empty ministry. But that's Spurgeon. And God did this way with Elisha. You wouldn't expect it. Uh, we write, read in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, because Samuel had gone to the house of Jesse to pick the next king. And Jesse was so sure it would be the firstborn, Eliab. And so did Samuel. And then the Lord said, Stop. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right. In a whirlwind, Elijah is taken away. A whirlwind. It's, it's like a tornado. Uh, we live in Tennessee. It's Tornado Alley. And when they come, it is very, very dangerous. And a whirlwind comes down, pulls things up. They've known of, of cars being taken two miles away. Uh, uh, homes destroyed. And it would just take things away to another spot. Well, a whirlwind took Elijah up and took him away. And many thought, well, he's just probably a mile or two away. Let's go look for him. But the truth is, Elijah had been taken to heaven. We know that because when Jesus was transfigured on a mountain, Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus. Now let me come right to the point. How to get a double anointing. Number one, you ask for it. James said, you have not because you ask not. And many of your hands went up when you said, you'd like double the anointing of a sense of God's presence in your life. Or whatever thing you might want in your work, ask for it. You have not because you ask not. But second, go to someone that you admire, a possible mentor, someone that you feel has a lot of anointing, go to them. Ask them to pray for you. If you admire them, you look up to them, just say, would you pray for me? I want what you've got. I'll tell you something. I have done this all my life. I don't know why I did it, but as far back as I can remember, if I saw anybody that I admired, who I had a thought of, had a touch of God on them, I would go to them and ask them to lay hands on me. 
and pray for me. And I've done it as I grew older over the years. I still do it. And I've had arguably the most famous people in the world to pray for me. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones laid hands on me. Billy Graham prayed for me. I've had Rodney Howard Brown. I've had John Arnott. I've had them all pray for me because I want all I can get. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Go to them. Go up to somebody. Ask for them. And then third, here's the key. If you really want this, you pursue with all your might. It's not something you just do, well, I had him pray for me, that's it. <laughs> if that's your attitude, forget it. But if you want it so much that it's on your mind all the time. For example, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. It's just on my mind all the time. He says, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. The watchmen waited for the crack of dawn. You didn't give up until you saw that. Or here's even a stronger word. Psalm 123, verses 1-2. I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand, the hand of their master, uh, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows mercy. Why did the slave look at his master's hand? You see, picture the slave uh, probably kneeling down or in a position just so he could watch. 30 feet away for all I know. He just looked at his master's hand. One turn of the hand, maybe a snap of the finger, and the slave was right there. He did not take his eyes off the hand. And that's the way it is with Elisha. He was in Elijah's face every minute because he did not want to take a chance on missing this opportunity. How that you might receive such an anointing Whatever it be in your work to be the best lorry driver in England or you want a relationship with God unlike anything you've ever had, it's how important is this to you? Well, now I ask, whatever was Elisha thinking when he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit? Was he thinking of double the power Double the quality of the miracles? Was he thinking of having twice as many miracles? Which seems to be the way the prayer was answered. Was he thinking of the honor of God? Or was it his own honor? Was it his own ego? Or was he thinking of his reputation? A friend of mine, knowing I was preaching on this, uh, wrote me a note and said, what faith Elisha had to ask for that? And I hadn't even looked at it that way. I asked, was it great faith or big ego? You see, we know that Elijah had a big ego. 
And you may not know this about people of God and people that are high profile in particular. Maybe you hadn't even thought of it. They've got huge egos. Really? I thought they were just men of God. They love the Lord so much. Well, they do. They do. But as Martin Luther put it, uh, God uses ambition to drive a man to service. And you see, we know, as I said, Elijah had a huge, huge ego. And Elisha's request suggests he's already got a touch of this. I think so many of us have an unrealistic view of many of God's servants. Remember this, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is, every man of God, every woman of God, they are like this. I remember as a boy, well, I, I was, I think, 19, 20 years old. I just started preaching. There was a particular man in my old denomination that I would have thought, and I don't question that it was true, one of the most godly men I'd ever met. When he preached, there was a power. Uh, and he was known to spend six to eight hours a day praying. And when I heard about that, I was so moved by him. And when he came to a town nearby, I made arrangements to go see him. And I knocked on his door. He welcomed me. I just wanted one thing. I wanted one thing for that man to lay hands on me. That's all I wanted. Well, we sat down and talked, and in the conversation, I don't know why I did it, I happened to ask, how old are you? Maybe you shouldn't do that, but I did. And I can remember, he said, 67. And so the time came, he laid hands on me. And I'm on my knees, and he's behind me with his hand on my shoulder, on my head, and He's praying for me, and, and I was so moved, and I was, I was so uh, aware of uh, the privilege of having this godly man pray for me. And it came to the end of the prayer, and I am giving you verbatim what happened. He closed his prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Don't tell anybody my age. He's just prayed for me. And I wanted this great sense of God. And my hero, he just prayed. That made, that's all I ever thought about. I cannot tell you to this day a thing he said in the prayer. And that's all I could think of for days, weeks. It made me know that the whole time he was praying, he was sorry he told me his age. And he didn't want anybody to know it. It killed it. But the best of men are men at best. And it's encouraged you to know, as James put it in chapter 5, Elijah was just like us. There was a consensus anointing. That means a generally accepted opinion among a group of people you see, there were these sets of prophets, and somehow all of them already knew Elijah would be taken away. Elisha also knew it. 
because they would come to him and they kept saying, do you realize the Lord is going to take your master away today? And Elisha said, yeah, I know. Don't talk about it. He kept saying that. Why didn't he want to talk about it? He was emotionally involved. The thought of it was too painful for him. And yet it showed that Elisha already knew. He was a prophet, and it was revealed to him. A consensus opinion. No disagreement. It was, you could call it a collective anointing. A cooperative enterprise. They all agreed together. No rivalry, no dissenting opinion. This means unity of opinion. Collective anointing. Everybody thought it. It's the way it was on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were of one accord, all together, in one place. In Acts 4, when the church prayed, collective anointing, they were all together, their voices lifted up together. And so, both Elijah and these sons of prophets agreed together that the great Elijah would be taken away from them that day. But as I said, it was a conditional anointing. Elijah promised Elisha a double anointing on a condition. Now, a condition means that the prayer will be answered if you meet the condition. If. All promises have an if. The oath, there's no if. It's done. It's over. Promise, we'll wait and see. And so the deal was, if you see me when I'm taken up, it will be yours. Well, here we go. Elisha somehow surmised all day long that this condition was relevant. That's why already he said, I'm not going to Bethel. I'm not going to Jericho. And he would not take his eyes off of Elijah. Sometimes God plays hard to get. Jesus was like that with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He looked as though he was going to go further, and they said, oh, please don't go. Stay with us. That's what Jesus wanted them to do. But he was testing them. Sometimes God plays hard to get. Jesus walked on water. And Mark's version says it looked like he was going to go further. He was going to neglect them. And they said, oh, please don't go. Come. You can find many instances where God plays hard to get to see how much you want this. And so we're talking now about having a higher level of anointing, a higher level of the presence of God. You don't want to be just an ordinary lukewarm Christian. You want all of God that you can get. Well, it comes to those who pursue it with all their hearts, not while you're in Kensington Temple for an hour or so, but what you'll be like this afternoon, tomorrow morning. How important is this to you? How much do you pray? How much do you read your Bible? How much do you seek the face of God? How important is this to you? If you say, well, I read my Bible. I prayed. I let him pray for me. We'll just see what happens. Chances are all that we're talking about will pass you by. But if I thought there would be one person here, one out of this gathering 
who say, I want that more than anything in the world. And I'm not going to give up like Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'm not going to let you go. Anybody here like that? This message is for you. Well, guess what? Elisha met the condition. Verse 12 says, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this. He saw it. He met the condition. And then he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And then Elisha saw him no more. As far as seeing Elijah, it was over. Never again would he be seen. But then we're told something interesting, that Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. The ESV says, in two halves. Why would he tear up his clothes? Why do this? Well, I, I, I've looked this up in the Bible, done some research on it. It's a bit of a mystery. Uh, tearing one's clothes was a dramatic gesture to express emotion, grief. When Jacob concluded that Joseph was dead, he tore his clothes. When Jephthah saw his daughter come in after Jephthah had made a foolish vow, he tore his clothes. On two occasions, Samuel tore his clothes. Job tore his clothes. But then there's one time when it happened, you think it was a, a big act. It's when the high priest said to Jesus, are you the son of God? And he says, I am. And the high priest tears his clothes, you know, as if he were so upset. He was thrilled to hear that because it now gave him a chance to prove he wanted to crucify Jesus. But he tore his clothes. It was an act to show disgust. In any case, what he was feeling, why did he tear his clothes? Well, maybe he just was in grief because he knew he wouldn't see Elijah anymore. Maybe it meant that he's going to be by himself from now on. What we know is that he asked the question, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Why did he say that? Well, he didn't know if anything happened or not. He felt nothing. What happened was that Elijah's cloak falls to the ground. The King James Version refers to the mantle. And we often use the phrase, inheriting a person's mantle. I used to ask Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I want your mantle. Well, that's what Elijah actually got. He got it. But he felt nothing. I find this very interesting. 
You know, when you pray for people, you'd like to feel something. I know those who, when they pray for somebody, they'll say, I felt the anointing go out of me. And they're praying for me. I said, well, good. I felt nothing. <laughs> and as I said, I've had more people pray for me. You wouldn't believe how many people have prayed for me. On one occasion a few years ago, <laughs> Rodney Howard Brown came to Earl's Court and uh, he asked all ministers to come to the front. And uh, I did. And I don't know how many, 80, 90 ministers lined up from one end to the other in the front of uh, Earl's Court. And uh, Elijah started at one end. He put his hands on him. He would say, fire! And the ministers would fall backwards. Fire! The next one would fall backwards. Fire! Third one. Fire! And they came to me. I was about number 25. Fire! And I stand there like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> well, <laughs> Rodney says, God, get this man and I'll travel the world for you. <laughs> and he got me laughing. He said, there it is, there it is. I said, no, Rodney, you've just tickled me. <laughs> you went to the next one. Fire! He fell down. <laughs> I have yet, so far in my lifetime, and I've had hundreds pray for me, have I ever felt anything? And I'll tell you more than that. This may disappoint you, but when I pray for people, I don't feel anything. Oral Roberts used to say the power of God go right through his hand. Well, you could have fooled me if that ever happened, except I'll say this. We've seen a few, not a lot, but we've seen a few people healed. There was this lady in Scotland came up to me eight or nine years ago, and I had to go to another venue, and she just said, would you please pray for my headache? Well, I was in a hurry, but I put my briefcase down. I put my hands on her temples. I said, in Jesus' name, be healed. Picked up my briefcase and went on. I felt nothing. And I would have totally forgotten that. Except that four months later, she got my address, wrote me a letter, and said, do you remember praying for the lady in Scotland at, after the morning service for a headache? She says, for five years, I've had sinus headaches. That day was the worst of my life. And so I hated to bother you, but I asked you to pray for me. She says, when you prayed, I felt nothing. But three or four hours later, I noticed, hmm, headache's gone. And she said, it never came back. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I was the most surprised of all. I say that so that you might be encouraged if you ask for prayer and they pray for you. Nothing happens. No manifestation. Don't worry. Of all those that have prayed for me, I felt nothing ever. 
those I've prayed for, I've felt nothing ever. But once in a while, God just kicks in and doesn't let anybody know it at the time. What that means is don't give up, don't be discouraged, because God knows what you want. He knows your heart. Okay, here is Elisha. Now he's alone. He's always had Elijah at his side. Now he's alone. Maybe that's why he tore his clothes. He realized this is for real. He's not going to see him ever again. He says, where now is the Lord God of Elijah? He took the cloak and just dipped it into the water, the rivers of Jordan. And before Elisha's eyes, the water just parted as before. You don't know whether the anointing has come until you need it. And when it comes, God knows what you need at the time. We know that there was therefore a continuity of the anointing. It was the first evidence that something had happened. And maybe you have been prayed for. Maybe you have prayed and Maybe this is a word for somebody here. You are, as I speak, in the greatest trial you've ever known. You're right in it now. And you've cried out to God and you feel nothing. Don't worry. He's right there. He's on your case. And you don't have to be anybody important. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't need to be a barrister. You're just you. You think, God, would you just help me? And he's on your case today. That he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And he sees that heart that says, I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want you more than I want anything, anybody in the world. Your prayer has been heard. You won't be able to say it's anything you did. Because when God's in something, you don't have to work it up. All you do is take the mantle, let it touch the water, and see what happens. And the same God is never too late, never too early, but always just on time, will be there when you need him most. May we pray. Heavenly Father, would you take this word and apply this to the person in this room who so urgently, desperately needs it and who wants you, your presence, your real presence, your manifest presence, your glorious presence more than anything in the world, Encourage that person. You're on his case. You're on her case. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.